Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Hey, everyone. It's Scott from Marty's Illegal Stick Hockey Podcast and the Zamboni Time Machine. If you want to create your own podcast, the best option to make that happen is Anchor. If you ever heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, and who doesn't like free? There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. How we doing, hockey fans? And welcome to episode number 75 of Marty's Illegal Stick Hockey Podcast, recording here on Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. 75 episodes. I can't believe it. We made it 75. Isn't there some kind of like special anniversary for the 75th? I don't, well, yeah, silver anniversary. No, what is that? I don't that know. That was what it a is. diamond anniversary. No, was it? Something. <laughs> you didn't give me a diamond, did you? You, you finally <laughs> done more episodes than I've done years. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, that's yeah. saying something. Yeah. Now that's staying power. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> oh boy, well, we have got an awesome show lined up for you. And before I bring our guest in, um, Jeremy's not going to be, well, he might be here a little later on. He's got lacrosse practice with his kids, so he's going to try to get here. Um, I tell you, that, kid runs, that guy runs from practice to practice to practice. Yeah. You know, but hey, good for him. I We've mean, heard it before. Hey, absolutely. You know, and and actually, his kid's a heck of an athlete. So I mean, that's oh, good. So you know, good for him. But as always, by my side, I have my trusty producer, the man who always pushes all the right buttons and pushes mine sometimes as well. <laughs> I try, Mister Dave the Save Warner. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Fantastic. Yeah, you ready for this or what? I'm ready for this. All right, this will be a good show. It is. It's going to be a lot of fun I know. because. Yep. Making his return appearance. This is like the third time he's been on the show. We just love having him on. He is the well, he's an he, angel expert. Or you can't get anybody else. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'll tell you. And this is a, <laughs> well, I could have just sat here but, with you the whole time, uh, yeah, right? This is true. Yeah. Hey, I carried your butt last time, so. Well, you know, we will have to talk about that later on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, boy. Anyways, he is uh, to me. He is an AHL expert. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, he's the co-host of the Calder Farmstead and AHL podcast, and the only guy that I know that does analytics for the AHL. It's Mister Sean O'Brien. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, it's always fun coming on with you guys, talk about the Utica Comets and beyond. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been it's 
it's been a long season. There are definitely things that I was talking with uh, Cece about where it's like, that was this season still. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, it's, it's, you forget because it's been so long since we've had a full regular season that it's, it's a grind. But like, the playoffs are here. I'm super excited. We've had some, uh, some wild games already. Two have already went into overtime. So, absolutely. It looks like it's going to be a really fun playoff. And, and you did, you guys have, have your preview show out now yourselves. Yep, we uh, we put that out a couple of days ago. Um, did all of the first round series. Uh, we didn't pick a full bracket just because it gets real messy, as we'll yeah. probably get to. I wanted to initially uh, for like some of the analytics stuff I do program the full bracket in, and it, then I realized that that means I would have to program every single possible Calder Cup matchup, of which there are hundreds, and that was where I was like, and. No. Yeah. I'll be here until the 2025 season for that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I think, it, I think I ran the, the math. It was like, there are like over 400 possible Calder cup combinations for the final. And I'm like, Nope, that's not, that's a Nope. Yeah. Not well, doing that. Well, especially now we pretty much have an expanded playoff field as well. Oh yeah. Cause it's basically any one of the teams in the East can play any one of the teams at West in the West, theoretically. So like you have to have that all, you know, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I labor of love as this is, that is where I draw the line and how yeah. much I'm willing to dedicate my time. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I'll tell you, just for our listeners' sake, where are they going to find your analytics work? Uh, so all of my analytics work you can find uh, on my Tableau page. The easiest way to get there is uh, this link, bit.ly slash data dump and chase, all lowercase, all one word. Um, if you go to our Linktree page for the podcast, you can also find it there. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Calder Farmstead. Uh, that has all the places you can find our podcast, YouTube, uh, a million different podcast places. Uh, that also has all our social media there. And at the very bottom is the link to all of my analytics stuff uh, that just got updated this morning with um, the roster updates that came out, as well as uh, updating the Bakersfield series probabilities. They're 76.6% after winning game one. <laughs> Well, that's a best of three series, I think, right? Yep, they all, all the first round yeah. best of three. So it's a, you know, there's no room to slip. No, no, you can't. And I'll tell you, just before we, we move on to that, uh, I did put that on our our homepage too on Marty'sIllegalStick.com because I and I put the link to your first top, the the analytics episode because that helped me so much try to understand some of this because I think I, I've told you before. I mean, as far as like analytics go, until listening to some of your stuff. I went plus minus and that was like the extent of my analytics because I just, you know, I was never good at math by the way. So <laughs> that's, Oh, I think the the fun, the most fun of this season has been seeing everyone try and do the points percentage thing <sighs> and realizing like, wow, a lot of us are really bad at math. Like <laughs> I'm bad at math, but I pro like, I at least understand like how math should work. And I program the computer to do it for me. So it doesn't make, you know, three plus two is six kind of mistakes but like the number of people who were like trying to galaxy brain just points percentage this year was absolutely hilarious i and i mean i was one of them at some points too so like it, it was definitely a, an adventure this year but yeah math is math is something that's helpful uh you know when you don't have to do it yourself yeah exactly i'll tell you i was so glad when the ahl started putting out those playoff primers every day just so it was like the cheat sheet <laughs> like they were useful in some senses, but they were also, I felt like, like there was too much there in some places where they were, cause like, I didn't like the magic numbers. Cause it's like everything affected it. It wasn't just right. you win X number of games. You get in. It was like, 
all right well uh tucson's to magic number to win you know the the or the entire league is like 108 i'm like wow that <laughs> you just just say no they can't like I, that's kind of why we started doing the the playoff graphs in the first place because it's like i think people really just want to see what are the chances that we make it don't tell me 13 is the number i don't know what that means how like how likely are we and I think that's still a point of contention in Hartford where they saw that they were like 90, 97 point something to make it on the initial graph. And then they just, yeah, man. Oh man. Talk about just dropping off. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> but anyways, let's, uh, let's dive into that North division because I know that's a, a lot of our listeners are uh, waiting with bated breath. Uh, so the, the North division playoffs actually start tonight. Uh, with uh, Belleville and Rochester, they have the best of three play-in series, and they will be pl- the winner of that will be playing the Utica Comets, of course, and the other series is the Laval Rocket versus the Syracuse Crunch. So before we get to the Comets and all that, let's start breaking down a little bit. The uh, let's talk about the Belleville Rochester series first. What do you like? Yeah. Um. Well, I think initially in our preview, I picked Belleville, and that was because we thought Michael Delzada was going to be there, no problem. That's not the case. And that is a very, like that swung things, I think almost 7% in the the model in terms of like, who was the favorite there because Michael Delzato does not belong in the AHL. He is right. legitimately too good. He was like a point per game defenseman for his time in the AHL. Like losing him was a huge loss for Belleville's chances. So now I kind of think I'm swinging back to Rochester, but that series is going to be one that, is very, I think is going to be very close. And it's two teams that play very different styles and are looking to do very different things. But I think too, it's like, it's, it's easier, I think, to dismiss Rochester a little bit because we've thought about like how they've looked kind of down the stretch. But it's like, this is not going to be that same team. This is a Rochester team that got reinforcements from Buffalo, is finally healthy with its, you know, its entire roster it would actually want to have available, available. And I, I think that's going to change a lot of, you know, the way that they're, what they're able to do. And they're going to be able to get back to when they were just, you know, racing teams up and down the ice. And I think that's going to be exciting, but I think it's, I, I think I'm going to s- switch picks from our preview now that uh, Delzato is out and I'm going to pick Rochester, but it's close. Like it's, it's a series that is going to very likely go to three games and be uh, like, I, I could see all three games in double OT, you know, something like that. So it's it's going to be real close. Um, I think our X factor was uh, Philip Gustafson because mm-hmm. he very much seemed to fit the profile for Belleville of a goalie who could just like who is talented, is a good goalie, but you don't really think of as being like one of the best in the league and on the cusp of an NHL stardom, but like someone who fits the profile of he could very much just turn it up a notch, find another gear and carry Belleville through the playoffs. Like, I don't know if uh, you guys watched the Belleville Toronto game that got Rochester into the playoffs, but like Philip Goffs has stole that game for them. And he's had a couple others this season where he's just flat stolen games. So like, I think if Belleville wins, you're going to hear it's because Gustafson was the guy and he just robbed Rochester left, right and center. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Comets fans don't like him very much from April because uh, Belleville beat them convincingly actually twice this, this month. It was Gustafin that was in that for both games, and and he was stellar there too. Uh, you know, I'll yeah. be honest with you, I had Rochester written off when they dropped those the games against Cleveland. I'm like, oh, that's it. They're done, That you know? Yeah. But it's so it, that just tells you just how close that North Division really was all season long. 
And yeah. I'm going to tell you something, getting Peyton Krebs is huge. Right? Like they needed any more help on, on offense. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, but like Krebs, too, is a good 200 foot player. He's not like an offense only player, whereas Jack Quinn is a 90% offense only player. Like right. he plays defense in a very lip service way. And that's OK, because he can score at ridiculous rates. Like I've said for the longest time, I'm like, you can opt out of defense if you can score point per game or better. Or, you know, uh, if you can score uh, six goals in 10 games, like if you can give me that level of offensive production, I really don't care if you play defense. We can find four other guys to play defense for you if you can do that. But like if you can't do that or if you're below that, nope, you got to play defense like that's and Jack Quinn is very much meets that bar. But like Krebs also is an unbelievable player. But like both him and Paterka are 200 foot guys, <laughs> whereas Jack Quinn's like a. 125 foot guy that's, <laughs> that's fine he can do the offensive things they can't and i think that balances out but there are definitely moments where like i've seen him go unplugged controller on an incredibly important back check that led to like a goal and a one goal a game that finished them losing by one it's like okay those moments maybe yeah. just make it look like you pretend <laughs> that you care defensive yeah. zone what's that yeah. <laughs> i'll tell but you like, though Oh, that, sorry, that's been Rochester's biggest problem the whole year is that like they're able to fly up and down the ice, but in their own zone, they they lacked a defensive aspect that was had that kind of lockdown ability. Like they didn't have a defenseman that really played like your traditional stay at home defenseman guy. And then they got Mark Alt at the deadline, which was a yes, it was amazing move. Like that is exactly who they needed. Like or that's exactly the type of player they needed. Like. I still think Mark Alt has something to contribute, but he is definitely on the outside looking in, in terms of, you know, prime of his career. Uh, but I still think he was a, a, like probably the best piece they could have acquired that day. Uh, that's, that's definitely given them somewhat of a lift in the defensive zone, but they still need like Krebs is huge in that aspect is he's going to come back and play defense, but that's been, that's been what's been plagued Rochester all most of the season is their defensive effort. And they also have not gotten great goaltending, but I think, you know, that's a little column A, column B. You know, you can't separate the goalie from the team that plays in front of him. Well, right. They're not getting it right now because they're behind two to nothing, according to Barry. Yeah. Rochester is? Yeah. It, Oof. Oof. Well, there's that goaltending you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it, and uh, uh, Uka and got hurt, like, I think right before the end of the season. So it's like they have Aaron Dell, and Dell is still a viable goalie in this league. Um, and he's played well at times, too, this year. But, like... Yeah, I, if I'm Utica, I'm rooting for Rochester because I feel like they have a better chance of beating Rochester. I think they're the favorite no matter what, uh, whoever they end up playing in the next round. But like, I I would much rather see uh, Rochester if I'm Utica because that's a team where I feel like no matter what happens, we're not out of the game. Whereas like with Gustafson and Belleville and a much more stout defensive structure, if you, you, know, you go down by two against Belleville, you might not get back, whereas you go down by two against Rochester. No, you still have a chance. Right. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Just because of the porous defense that Rochester plays. And, you know, I mean, even if it turns into a track meet, the Comets can certainly have the, the firepower to keep up with Rochester. Uh, you mentioned Philip Gustafson from Belleville. Are there any other players on Belleville that can be a real difference maker, uh, not only in the Rochester series, but going forward as well? Oh, for sure. Igor Sokolov uh, has been yeah. a, a absolute like coming out party the last uh, uh, this season. And uh, I, I think he scored one of the goals already for Belleville tonight. I was watching a little bit before uh, we got started here. 
I want to say he scored one of the goals. Um, he's been huge for them. Um, Jake Lucchini has been most of their offense this season. It seems like he doesn't Lucchini. I don't feel like sticks out every time he's on the ice, but then when like there's a nifty play or something like that, get uh, or a Belleville scores and you're like, Oh wow. Who is that? It's, it's Jake Lucchini. Like he's uh, plays a lot more subtle of a game. It's not, you know, as uh dynamic or as sexy as like Holtz is, but he, he definitely gets the job done um, on Belleville too. uh, Andrew Agazzino, oh, we talked earlier in the season about him and how I didn't feel like they utilized his skill set well. He's still someone that is dangerous. Uh, he is uh, still a very talented scorer in this league, but I don't feel like the way that they put him, the positions that they put him in with the way they structure their offense, or especially how they structure their power play, mm-hmm. I don't think Agazzino has gotten a fair shake. He's not a good fit for, I feel like, the way that they've uh, utilized him, but he's still someone that you can't just lose track of in the offense in the defensive zone if you're a Utica yeah no doubt and I mean Zach Sanishin has been pretty good for him since he came over as well yeah that was a surprising move I know like, that... I, I was not right. expecting uh Boston to to move him it seemed like he was someone that they were married to for life because if they got rid of him that was admitting that they should have taken uh Barzell yep at like I don't think they're ever going to do that. I think they're just going to it, st- stick in that mistake that they made the right choice for the rest of their lives. But no, that was that was surprising. And Belleville too has had like a lot of guys kind of come and go this season that had like we thought would work. Like Wilkie uh, has not quite worked out as well for them. Cole Sherwood they sent away, although that one looks smarter now because he really hasn't done much in Milwaukee either. But uh, yeah, Zach Anderson's been decent for them so far. Uh, he. I, I was kind of hoping when I saw him get moved that like the change of scenery would spark something for him. Cause it just seemed like he was treading his, he was treading water in, yeah. in with Boston. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you're right. That's a classic example right there of a guy who needs a change of scenery. Just one last closing thought on is, uh, did Mad Sogard come back to, to Belleville for the playoffs? Ooh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Cause I know he was up. in Ottawa and I just, I meant to look that up today, and I just being at work. I, I had to actually work. <laughs> so what is, I didn't what get, is that like? I didn't get a chance to look. <laughs> I don't see it on the board, so I'm gonna say no. I think in this game that they are not having him on the bench. So if he's not on the bench, he's right. definitely not. Ah, yeah, yeah so it's, Man, it's Mandelizzi and Gustafson. So if he's not on the bench, if he's yeah. not even get backup dressed, then I doubt he's he's gonna be a factor. Mandalese too, like another another goalie. I feel like could be could you know use the the playoffs here as a, a coming out party for him. Um, if he gets in games, we'll we'll see if they decide to rotate. If they're just going to ride Gustafson, I would ride Gustafson, but you know, you never know. Try what to do whatever he wants. Well, I, obviously, too, in a three games, you, you're definitely going with the hot hand. I mean, if you know. Yeah. If Gustafson comes comes out and, and does really well against Rochester, there's absolutely no reason that he won't start game two. So let's talk about uh, Laval and Syracuse, two teams that kind of went in the opposite directions uh, yeah, towards the end of the season. It looked like for a while there, Laval was completely on fire. Um, you know, we didn't think they were going to catch the Cowboys, but boy, they were making it interesting for a little while. And then they kind of really kind of got cold. And in their place, the Syracuse Crunch got hotter than a firecracker, and they actually leapfrogged into second place. So now those two teams are facing each other. Uh, let's talk about that one. Who do you like there? 
Oh, that that series is two teams that I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on and they shouldn't. Like the the I'm I'm I, I like Laval by like the tiniest of margins, and that's strictly because uh Syracuse sent back Nash. If Syracuse got to keep uh yeah, Nash, Nash, that that's I might stick with, I might take Syracuse in that series over uh, Laval, but like both of those teams are very, very good. Um, and I think that's, it's funny too, because we called uh, Syracuse getting to turn around a little bit. Cause when we started digging into their numbers, it was like, they have guys that are very good that are shooting like below 5%. And that's unfathomable. Like I think at one point in the season, Alex Barry Boulay was shooting like 3%. Right. And right. I remember when I saw that, I'm like, well, that, that can't stay that will absolutely not last because that kid can rip pucks and then like in two weeks later when i checked back in he'd scored like seven goals in the meantime i'm like yep <laughs> nailed there that one <laughs> called it but like syracuse is syracuse and the ball are both two very good teams like if i were utica i'd be like i don't want to play either of them can we can we actually let them play belleville and we'll take another bye in the hopes that like <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one because those are those are those are two teams that I feel like are are real dark horses. I mean, Laval has an, a guy that doesn't belong in the league in Cedric Paquette. He has nine goals, I think, in fourteen games. That's he does not belong in this league. But like, he's gonna stay in Laval, and he's gonna you know uh, probably make a couple of teams or a couple of defensemen look ridiculous in these playoffs. And now that too, they don't have to worry about Montreal. Their you know their season right. is done. They have they are at full strength. They have all the Utes back. They got everything. They're they're a team that looks very dangerous on paper. And their coach, I mean, still a first-year guy, but has at times really impressed me. Although I think the the biggest factor for them is that we don't cover them from the podcast because they are one and eight in games that we covered them this year. <laughs> Did you get the official letter? Please don't call us. Please like, don't it, cover it was, us. Don't talk about us. <laughs> it was, it, and we said this on the show, it's like, this is getting ridiculous where it's like every time, you know, we cover Laval, we prep, we watch, you know, some of their previous games, we dig in on some of the player shifts. And it's like, every time it's like, yeah, this team looks great. Like they look really good. They have a couple of flaws here and there, but like overall, this is a good team. And then we, you know, we preview them in the weekends as a good team. And then we get to the games and they crap the bed in two, in the two games. That we them. <laughs> and we have to report, it's like, yeah, we talked them up for nothing again. <laughs> like they were terrible this weekend. And it's like, it, it just kept happening. Literally we covered them uh, in eight games this season. They were one and eight in those games. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, but, you know, I'll tell you the the devils actually did Laval a favor when they traded Nate Schnarr to the Canadians for the Hamburglar. I mean, that was, you know, disappointing to us fans up here in Utica. Understood why they did it, because they were in such dire straits in their goaltending situation. But, man, it was, you know, Nate Schnard is not going to put up 50 points in a season, but he's one of those guys to me is just he's very underrated. For the game that he plays, he's a full 200-foot player. He can be real pesty when he wants to be. You know, that's, you know, that's the kind of guy you need in the playoffs, no doubt. Uh, standout players from Laval that you think are going to – if they win, make the difference. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, Cedric Paquette is a, a weapon at this level. Like right. that's a dude that is going to make a difference. Um, another one, Raphael Harvey Pennard. Uh, he's been excellent for them this season. A little bit of a coming out party for him. He had 21 goals this year. Um, Jesse uh, Ullinen, uh It's he's another one that I feel like 
when you look at his just raw point totals, it seems incredibly low. Like every time he's on the ice, I feel like he's doing something. He is part of the solution for Laval. And he started to put it together a little bit earlier and or started to put it together about midway through the season, spent some time in Montreal and looked good there. It wouldn't shock me to see him kind of uh, take his game to another level and have a little bit of a coming out party for anyone who hasn't kind of closely followed the rocket this year. Um, I'm waiting for Kevin Waugh to look like Kevin Waugh. Yeah. He is like, he's been someone who's been about a point of game player for multiple seasons now. And this year, like I would have thought, you know, ho- coming to your home team, home market, like, He's, you know, he's definitely going to blow it up. He's never been more motivated to succeed, you know, in this jersey. And now he's been kind of like just okay-ish. And I understand, you know, he hasn't, he's gotten shuffled around in lines a little bit as there have been call-ups. He hasn't gotten to play, you know, top line minutes, top power play unit. But like, I, I think he's someone who I could see being one of those like KG old veterans that it's like, all right, it's playoffs time now. And the switch is flipped. We're, <laughs> we're going. So he's someone else I like. Their blue line is, I think, probably the only part of Laval where it's like nobody's really terrible, but nobody really is like, oh, that's like they don't have that on the blue line. They just have like six good dudes. Nobody that's, you know, standing out um, overall on top of that. Like, I like Belpedio, I like Xavier Olette, but like neither of them are the game changers, like you would say for Pocket. They also, I mean, they have probably the most uh, like underrated, underrated, under the radar uh, goaltender too in Kevin Poulin. Like, I mean, that's a dude who started the season in the ECHL, got called up for two games in the Vol. They sent him back down. They called him back up again. They sent him back down to the ECHL, and then finally they called him up a third time, and they let him, you know, take the starters reins because they literally had no choice. Like everyone else was injured or in Montreal. So they're like, well, it's either him or we're pulling dudes off of, you know, the, the street corner to come play goal for us. And he thrived. Kevin, uh, like Kevin Poulin is, uh, an, has put on a performance this year and in front of a Laval defense that maybe has not been the greatest at times. And it, it seemed like it never mattered. He never got rattled. He just kept stopping pucks. And it was, I mean, I, I know I was a couple of times I'm like, okay, yeah, he's played great for these 10 games, these 15 games, but like, come on, the guy wasn't that good in the ECHL. He hasn't been that good in prior seasons. Like it's going to fall apart. Right. Right. And I kept waiting for that moment. <laughs> and here I am like three months later, still waiting for that moment. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know what? Enough. They had that, like that carousel goal going on in goal for a while there. I mean, when you had McNiven and it was just injury after injury for him. And you know, good for Poulon. He he stepped up and he took his you know took his spot on that team really. And they still have Caden Primo as well. So with with that series starting Friday, it's going to be interesting to see who gets the nod. It it is. I like. I if it's me, I'm starting Kevin Poulon. Like that's not a question for me. Mm-hmm. I have never been on the Caden Primo is like the next logical successor to Carey Price train. I know a lot of fans who are like, no, he's he's going to be uh you know the next in line of like historic Montreal Canadiens goaltenders. And at every moment I've been like, okay, yeah, he's good. Like he's good, probably going to be an NHL starting goaltender, but like, I don't see it. I'm not, I'm not a goaltending expert. Goalies are very weird and I never played goal. So like I've had to do a lot of work and reading and stuff, trying to figure out like basics about goaltending. And even with my limited knowledge of goaltending, every time I see him play, it's like, he's good, but he doesn't do the things that you that separate a good goaltender at this level from a great goaltender. And yeah, he's still young. He's like 22, 
but this is going to be his fourth AHL season. And I have yet to really feel like I've seen the magic on a consistent basis from him. Whereas like Kevin Poulin has the magic right now. He mm-hmm. may not, you know, he may be renting the magic, but he got it. <laughs> and I think if you're starting Caden Primo over him uh, in the playoffs, that's a mistake. But because Poulin is not really a prospect that Montreal is looking at and Caden Primo is their heir apparent, I think that's the direction they go. But we'll see. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll tell you, anytime I've ever tried to have anything to do with goaltending, be it, you know, ball hockey or whatever, I just prayed, prayed that the thing hits me. Because that's yep. that's my my theory. Just hit me. I don't care. Because <laughs> I'm not going to make a save. Just hit me. <laughs> I know. Even I know that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Mario Lemieux over here. But that's a, another story for another time. But, <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, Syracuse has a goaltender that, in my opinion, this hot streak for them started when they finally decided that they were going to stick with Max Legacy in goal because it, it just seemed because I mean here in Utica we they, the crunch and the comments played each other fourteen times they, certainly no strangers to each other for sure so anyways uh, with Legacy in they actually were a much better team but for some reason it seemed like especially earlier in the season they had like this obsession with Hugo Alnafelt which I can never figure out but. It is what it is. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I get that because Max Max Lagasse at this point in his career is who he is. Like right. he's he's an older veteran goaltender, and like he's still very capable. He's a very capable goaltender. Uh, but like Alnafelt is the future for Tampa. So is uh, Amir Miftahov. Like both of them kind of to mixed results. Like Alnafelt struggled a little bit this year, um, but uh, – I, I still like he has the raw tools to be a very successful goaltender in the AHL and beyond. A lot of it is just, you know, improving small things with him. So like t- it, it didn't surprise me that Syracuse was there to try and, you know, let him work through it in game scenarios. That's what you should be doing to develop sure. goaltenders. But like, yeah, it, it, when, when they started to need to make a playoff push, it it wasn't surprising to me that they went with the goalie who was just had better results this year. They needed to win games to get the, into the playoffs goaltender and who, you know, giving them uh, a better chance at that. Like long-term, I think Hugo Allnafel is going to be maybe not a star goaltender, but I think that's a, a guy who is an NHL future um, because his athleticism combined with that size is not something that you can teach. Well, you could teach athleticism to an extent, but like go- goalies that are as big as he is don't right. typically move that well. And uh, every goalie coach I've ever talked to and asked about when it's like, all right, would you rather have the most technically proficient goaltender, but like with a beer gut, or would you rather have, you know, a freak athlete who doesn't understand how to make saves? And it's every time without a doubt, it's give me the freak athlete. I can build, you know, a foundation, uh, a technical structure. I can't teach a dude to be, you know, six foot four and move like Superman. Right, right. And that, that's a very good point. It, it really is. Uh, so, I mean, we, we know all about Bray Blouet. We know about Charles Houdon. We know about Gabe Dumas. We know about Sean Day, who's had another excellent season. Anybody else on the crunch that we should be looking out for? That's a good one because that's, that's a. I've really liked Gage Gonsalves this year. Yeah. He's someone who I think has been a little bit under the radar. Like he's another one that has a lot of good raw tools, but hasn't quite put everything together, but he shows up in like spurts where like every once in a while he'll score like some amazing goal. And you're like, where has this been the rest of this time? Like you could do this the whole time to- kind of uh, a goal. I think he's someone who's been kind of, kind of sneaky this year. Darren Radish has not been as, as 
dominant a defenseman as I would have thought he would have been this year. So he's someone, and he's another, you know, another veteran who I could see having that kind of switch in him where it's like, okay, yeah, but now it's playoff time. And, you know, I I could see that from him. Otto Sampi, another one that's been very disappointing for Syracuse this year, where he's, I think, been a healthy scratch a couple times. I don't know if he gets it together in this postseason, but like I've seen it. I saw it last season. He was much, much better than this. So it's possible at least that he finds life uh, in, in playoffs. But I think that's pretty much everyone. The If, if Riley Nash isn't coming back, that's a huge loss for Syracuse because that dude doesn't belong in this league. Um, and I'm looking at it now. He had 10 goals in 17 games. Wow. That's that's bonkers. Like that, that is the case definition of you are too good to be here. <laughs> right. Like, if you put up those kind of stats in my beer league, they would be throwing you out and sending you up. Like it's, there'll be a security guard at the door. So you're not coming in. <laughs> yeah, tonight. Sorry. Like, All right, we're not, we're not having you do the sandbag stuff here. Now <laughs> too, very quietly, a good season for him. 30 goals, 32 assists, too many penalties, but yeah, I, I, some, at some point, I think that that's part of his game. Like he needs to kind of, you know, do maybe some stuff he shouldn't in order to kind of get in the the headspace to play. Right, right. Well, I can tell you, you know, obviously having seen him play 14 times this year, uh, he is an emotional player. There's no doubt about it. And, and yes, you you can goad him into a penalty. There's there's no doubt about it. But when you're putting up over 60 points, you definitely take the good with the bad. So with that said, you said you like Laval just barely in this series, just barely. More like a, barely. a coin like, flip than anything else. It's, it is like, I, I haven't run the numbers on it yet, but it's going to be close. I can tell you that one for sure. It's going to be very close. Um, I, if you put Nash back on Syracuse, I'd probably take Syracuse then. But like this, these are two teams that I think are dark horses as Calder Cup contenders. And if I'm Utica, I don't want to play either one of them because they both scare me, even though like Utica also very, very good. And I think the fact that they're getting everyone back is going to be huge for them. And especially with the uh, like, excess time they have that's wild right well let's you know what let's talk about that that's a, i definitely want to talk about that um the comments don't play again until may 10th but like you said they get everybody back now because i mean listen april was not a good month for the comments on an overall basis right um we talked about this in november at some point things were going to balance out to the median it, it, it's hockey it happens right but, I mean, yes, they were missing a lot of players. Honestly, I think that they had been in first place for so long by so far that it was kind of like, okay, we're towards the end of the season now. Maybe start going to it. And I'm not saying sandbag by all means, but I'm just saying that when you're that far ahead, it's kind of like, all right, well, we got, we have the playoffs to look forward to, you know, one of those deals. Um, but here's something I found very surprising. And just as a, as a general statement of the North Division, you know, you think about the Western Conference, and I, to me, I always kind of equated the Western Conference, at least this season, with offense. Because if you look at the top 20 scorers, you know, 80% of them are in the Western Conference, right? But the North Division, all right, for just as far as overall goals for, right? Syracuse had 242, so they were tied for eighth. Laval had 246, they were tied for fourth. Rochester, of course, we know about the explosive offense they have. 254, they had uh, tied, they were overall third. Uh, Belleville was a little lot under the radar on that. They were 219 tied for 17th, but Utica had 246 since they were tied for fourth. So again, like we said, they can keep up with anybody offensively. Um, 
I, I tend to agree with you. I think that if anybody, they're going to want to play Rochester, maybe for familiarity's sake, anything else, they, you know, but again, that also the, the tail can wag the dog on that because they also know the Comets pretty well. But I think that the Comets now would then getting their full team back and you start getting into that playoff mindset. Talent-wise, they can stay with anybody. And if they play their game, I truly believe they can beat anybody. What are some of the strengths on the Utica Comets that you think can carry them to this uh, division title? Oh, depth for certain. Like they, they seem like they have somebody who I can point to at every level and be like, that's a dude who's probably playing, you know, who could play a line up or play minutes up. And they have the advantage of slotting them, you know, as your third line center, as your second pairing defenseman, like their depth when they're now that everyone's there. Uh, is fantastic. And that's what helped them so much early in the season is like they could just roll four lines that can score and three pairs of D that can do, you know, a little bit of everything. And that that was a huge advantage for them because it gave them so much versatility, so much we don't need Alexander Holtz to score, you know, two goals a night for us to win. Um, where like when some of that depth got hurt, some of it went to New Jersey, you started to see that kind of start to falter a little bit. And that's understandable. That's typically what happens when, you know, you lose good players to the NHL or to IR or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, for for me, Utica's uh, ability to just roll four lines and three pairs of D that are terrifying uh, definitely get, is what is their biggest advantage. And like it, they have two very solid goaltenders to back them up. This is a, a team that checks all of the boxes of things you would want um, and I mean, we've been saying it all season. That team loves Kevin Deneen to death. They would, you know, go to actual war for him. Uh, so that's a huge advantage. Not to mention, too, like we said, the Comets have had a stupid amount of time to prep for this next series. Like, if they were a little bit uh, around, if they were, uh, you know, maybe not as prepared or as thorough as they would have liked to have been in previous series, which is definitely true in the AHL, especially with Utica's schedule this season seemed like it was a lot of, they didn't play a lot of weekend series where it was them playing two games in two games against Rochester, two against Syracuse. It was a lot of mix and match, mm-hmm. which makes it harder on coaching staffs because they have to then prepare for two opponents in, you know, a short span of time where it's like, if you only have one, you know, two games or three games, uh, on the weekend against the same opponent, you're only preparing for one team. Sure. Um, but like now that you've given one of the best coaching staffs and a team that has that much buy-in and what the coach is preaching that much extra time to, you know, plan strategy, uh, get into practice and uh, perfect, you know, things like that has all this time to rest, recuperate, prepare, like good luck to Belleville or Rochester who had to, you know, play through a, a small war to get through to this point, even like, I, I think that's a huge advantage for for Utica going forward. Really, because I actually kind of almost think that that could work against them being off for that long. Because practice is great and and rest is beyond great, especially at this point in the season when you got guys with nagging injuries. You know, get them recuperated. But there's nothing like gameplay, and I, I think that perhaps, and you know, this is kind of just a, a shot in the dark. Belleville or Rochester might have a slight advantage by having played, especially if it's only a two-game series. Now, if it's a, like we were talking earlier, if it's a three-game series that goes double overtime each game, yeah, you're right. They're going to be worn out. There's no doubt about it. But uh, the Comets have, have been off since April 30th. 
So they're going to have almost two full weeks of, of resting and getting everybody ready. So it'll be interesting to see how that game one plays out. It, it really, fortunately, they're going to be home. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you'll see maybe you know like a, a half period of like uh, maybe not necessarily rust, but like getting up to speed a little bit. Uh, I've seen teams in the past too when they've had those like giant layoffs where they're waiting for someone else, uh, where they will. Um, like hold inner inner squad scrimmages mm-hmm. and they'll just tell them like, this is a live game. Like go beat the crap out of each other a little bit uh, to kind of keep that like, you know, game mentality or getting into a, you know, a, a pseudo game uh, going. So I think you might see some of that from, from uh, the comet staff just to kind of uh, address what you're saying. And I think that like, that's a valid point. You've definitely seen teams, uh, you know, who've had those big layoffs come out and not look as sharp um when we came back from like christmas break when we had that big extended uh, holiday from like the middle of december and some teams didn't play for like 17 days you definitely saw that a little bit uh where it's like a team that had a game the night before coming against a team who hasn't played in three weeks uh you saw a little bit of that that level of you know i would say softness but like that not ready for game speed quite at this at puck drop I'm less concerned with that with this team, but I think your concern is still valid. Uh, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as worried about this just because I put a lot of faith in Denis and his staff and uh, everyone to be prepared. If we had seen them be a little more laxical, laxadaisical in when they were f- at full uh, roster strength in the season, I would say you probably have a, a much stronger case, but for right now, I'm not concerned. Yeah, that's, and that's like I said, it's very valid too. And you know, Coach Denise not going to let the gas off. There's no way. <laughs> as far as Utica goes, how about some players that need to make a difference? I mean, Chase DeLeo, Alexander Holtz are always going to be the big two. It's been amazing to see what AJ Greer has done, especially like watching him last year with Bridgeport. And I was like, when we previewed Bridgeport at the beginning of last season, we're like, yeah, AJ Greer's a big addition. We know what he did in previous stops in his career. He should be about a point of game player in Bridgeport. And then he was terrible. He was so bad in Bridgeport. It looked like someone poured sand in all of his joints at the start of every game. And then he got, he went to um, Binghamton last year for like the last five games of the season. And it, it looked like a different person and it was unbelievable. And then this year just rips it up. Uh, I mean, he's had some unbelievable games this year. He's another one too. I like. I don't feel like I'll, I'll name it. There are, are guys on the comments who are like going to catch people by surprise at this point, especially for you know most comments fans. They know their guys, mm-hmm. uh, and but like, I would definitely want to see uh, big things from Alexander Holtz. This is a platform for him to show that next year it's Devils or bust. Um, and I think he's he's de- Utica has been a different team when he's in the lineup versus out of it because he is just someone who can take over a game and be an absolute weapon. And while DeLeo and Greer have been great this year, they don't have that, like they don't have the dynamic talent that he does where he can just turn something or turn, uh, you know, a, he can manufacture a scoring chance out of thin air. It seems like, whereas, you know, I, I they're still very good, but I don't think they have quite that, that high end of uh, ability to basically just make something out of nothing. Right, and I'll tell you, you know what's impressed me the most about Holtz this year? I mean, you can have all the offensive highlights, and they've been very fun to watch. Let me tell you, very fun. But the way he has improved his defensive game this season, when we started off in October, you know, we were were talking about earlier, uh, Jack Quinn, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Not very strong defensively at all. As the season has progressed, and I'll tell you where I really noticed it, is when the comments started having all the call-ups and the injuries start to happening, 
and he was still there. And they were counting on him to come back and back check and play defense. And you know what? He did. He did. I mean, listen, he's not going to win the sulky award at the NHL level. But still, he has actually become a very responsible winger in his own end, and it's been great to see. Uh, you know who else had a, a breakout season has been very, very fun to watch is uh, Fabian Zetterlin. He's been amazing. Yes. Fabian Zetterlin was another one, too, that, like, we definitely slept on in the preseason when we were talking about Utica. Like, I watched him last year with Binghamton, and I was – I could see, you know – good raw skills but i'm like he hasn't put anything together yet to see like he has good raw skills him and like graham clark was another good raw skills but like you can tell they have not put it together they're uh they're wielding a sword that they are not ready for and that that has not been settling at all this year he has taken a massive leap forward in his ability to turn raw skills into production and to turn you know scoring chances and good stick handling into points on the board uh, and that's been phenomenal to see. Uh, it's I was definitely not expecting that big of a leap forward for him. Another big leap forward for me too was Riley Walsh. Like I think there were a lot of people who were a lot higher on Riley Walsh from what I saw last year coming out of Binghamton than I was. Like he could do good things in the offensive zone when the puck was in the offensive zone. Like he was a valuable part of the cycle and could work the power play. But man, was he terrible in his own end last year. He was truly atrocious in his own end. And like, it seemed like every time the puck was on his stick trying to make a breakout in Binghamton, he would screw it up. And that was my big concern when he was coming to Utica this year is I'm like, I've seen how bad this defensive group, but especially Riley Walsh was at breaking pucks out last year. And it's why Binghamton was a tire fire. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I was low on comments to start the season because I didn't think that he would make these just massive leaps forward where now it's, watching him skate the puck up the ice, it looks like he's been doing it half his life. And I mean, to be fair to him, he has, right. like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it looks night and day like what we saw last year. And that's a huge credit to him, you know, do putting in work in the off season, putting in the work in the season, but also another credit to the staff for getting those big leaps out of guys that Binghamton didn't. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've been telling like a lot of my friends here too. Riley Walsh to me is really one of the main keys to making the, the Comets offense go. I mean, they they're loaded with at the forward group. They got all kinds of firepower on the on the offensive end for forwards. But as far as defense goes, they need that breakout. Their 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 game is so what the transition game, right? Yep. Get up and go. And for a little while there, he was in a slump. And there was and you could tell when when Riley Walsh was slumping is when the comments kind of started to, uh, well, we're not all of a sudden that fire wagon offense isn't there and you can load up the neutral zone against them and you can clog things up and you can slow it down. And then towards the end of April is when he really started to turn it on again and you saw what happened. I mean, they, they all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's right. We can score five goals a game, six goals a game or whatever. And you could also see his confidence level just went right through the roof towards the end too because you know now finally things started working again. And I'm telling you, if Riley Walsh is going to continue to be Riley Walsh and play as, as good as he can, uh, this is going to be an extremely dangerous team in the playoffs. So we had talked about the goaltending. Who starts game one, Nico Dawes or Akira Schmid? How would you like to That's add that a, problem? <laughs> yeah. I probably play Dawes, but like for reasons that are incredibly thin and specious. Like 
I think Dawes is probably like, it seemed like Schmid was definitely starting to get worn down by the workload at the end of the season. And we talked about this on our podcast where it's like he, uh, at the beginning of uh, April, it was like he had played more games this season than he did all of last year in juniors. And there is a month left in the season for him to play. Like, and you could see his performance uh, when you tracked it, like by month was starting to dip a little bit. And like, after he put up a 947 in his first 10 games, you're like, okay, nobody's that good. He's going to come to earth a little bit. Right. But like, it definitely seemed like he was getting worn down a little bit. And Dawes at least seems like he's probably the fresher goalie. Granted, now both of them are going to have, you know, uh, an entire month, it feels like, off from playing live fire games. So maybe that's different by, you know, the time we get here. But I, I think I'm, I'm more inclined to play Dawes. But it's, uh, you know, we're more or less flipping coins. I, I would be not surprised to see either one of them at any point. The other question, too, is if you do pick a goalie and he plays well in game one, does he auto start game two or are you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I... Because that's the thing, right? I mean, not just the AHL, but NHL or any level. I mean, once you get to the playoffs, you pretty much, that that one guy one night, the other guy the other night, stuff tends to. So we we need to get him on. Yeah, I was just saying. Get the Zamboning kid on. Come on. Is that that the name of his podcast? or? Uh, He has um, the Facebook page, Zamboning Kid. Okay. His his name is Kane. Troy, and he's a member of the Rink of Dreams, so okay. I'm sure if you reach out to him, he just had a podcast on yesterday, and they talked about me, and um, it was such a thrill, and um, they're going to be coming down to visit the rink here soon. So, oh, perfect. And um, so, yeah, the night was great. The speeches were great, and it was funny. I was talking to Butch while we were whispering, you know, while they were talking. All of a sudden, I felt my... T- um, a tap on my shoulder, and my wife's, you know, they just called your name. Like, what, what? <laughs> and I looked up, and Renee, he had me stand, and he, then he told, you know, wanted to thank me for being there, and he told everyone about the rink and what it's all about. And I sat down, and Butch looked at me and said, you didn't tell me that. So that's when I reached in and grabbed, I had business cards made, so I gave him, oh, man, this is cool. Like, And then afterwards, I couldn't believe all the players coming up to me, thanking me for what I've done. And it's like, you didn't have to say anything, but you know, that was such a, I felt so humbled when he did that. And for the, the caliber that uh, players that were there to have them come up and thank me that, that meant the world to me. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That really is. You sent us some pictures actually, and Dave's going to start putting them up. So, yeah, if you can put them up, I'll talk about this was the induction class. And I'm sorry if I don't know all the people there, but some of them were Dave Gray, Mike Smith. He was the general manager for the old Winnipeg Jets. Okay. Um, Emily Perrick. Uh, I don't know if I'll pronounce her name right. Choma, Charmer. She's all the way to the right, the woman with the blonde hair, second. Um, and from the right, she played, I believe, at RPI. She was a women's hockey player. Okay. And then uh, Jack O'Callaghan, one, two, three. It's the fourth one in. Um, the gentleman with the white hair and light blue jacket, you may remember, he played for the um, Clinton Comets by the name of Rich Gambler. Okay, yeah. Yeah. 
um, be uh, next to him. The lady, she was with the uh, Clark Gillies Foundation. She was there to accept his award. Uh, behind her is uh, uh, Bobby Nystrom. I got to talk to him. Um, the man with the cowboy hat is none other than Clint Millardchuk. Uh That's to him was a 1980 uh, gold medalist um, on the Olympic team, Mark Wells. Uh, and behind him, uh, the tall gentleman is a New York Red. He started playing roller hockey in uh, the Bronx at the old sky rink. He became the 1984 uh Olympic hockey coach during the Olympics, and he's involved with USA Hockey, uh, Lou Barrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in front of uh, him <laughs> is the woman, uh, Jean uh, Pavlich, Mark Pavlich's sister. Okay, yep. Um, and then uh, Jack LaFontaine, uh, Renee, he's the one with the white beard, um, the third one over. Okay. And Butch Goring, uh, I'm sorry, Pat wasn't in this picture. He had to leave. Uh, him and Butch Goring um, drove up from, from Long Island, so they left before this. But these were the members of the um, first class of the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's that's so cool. That, that really is. And I'll tell you, that's every one of them obviously has a fantastic story. I mean, I, and growing up in the 80s, you know, early 90s, I mean, I remember with Clinton Larchuk, when he, when he suffered that injury in goal there for Buffalo. Oh. And, you know, thank God that they were, you know, and he continued playing after that, actually. Hmm. Which, you know, I'll tell you, that, yeah. that takes a lot of guts. You, 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 yeah. you get hurt like that, and then and, you, you come back and play. That's, that's really something. There's something to be said for that. And could they put up the next picture? It was with Clint, and yes. There is. You know the putts I made for you. Yes. Well, I made a plaque for Burke. They have a facility now. As you know, Mark committed suicide. Um, he had mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Um, his sister, uh, Jean, is the president of what they call the ranch. It's a place that um, former hockey players can go to get help for mental health issues. They have horses. Uh, it's just a place to get away from it all. They have doctors there. Um, where is that located? Uh, that's out west of Minnesota. Okay. And Clint, is, as you can tell by his hat, that's Clint. He's the vice president of the facility. Well, I made them up. Um, I set three pucks with Mark's picture in the middle, framed it, and put it in the case. And they're, they're going to be displaying that at the entrance of the ranch uh, when they get back there. And I gave Clint some um, hockey pucks. And I also had pictures of Mark with her Brooks. Uh, and a few other Rangers, uh, Barry Beck, um, and um, of his career in uh, while he played for the Rangers in that. And I've been meaning to get it to her, but since I knew she was going to come, um, I decided to wait and give it to her then, and she loved it so much. <laughs> well, that must have been just something special to be able to, yeah. to give them right, right in person like that. Yes, yes. They were all great. And um, before, um, well, the days leading up to this event, my stomach was filled with knots. I I couldn't eat. I, I was so <laughs> nervous because I've never been in a group, you know, 
as you know, Scott, I'm real shy. I don't talk much. <laughs> no, no, you? No. Yeah. Yet we can't <laughs> stop him here. He just, he just keeps going, right? But yeah. when I get in a large group like that, I usually just sit on the side. I'm so shy. But, oh, God, these players, once I start talking to them, you know, it, it was like just talking to, you know, to uh, you, you know, I'm not, right. not you know, yeah, it, just regular people, you know, and oh god, they they were all great. Um, Rich, uh, who played for the Comets, sat um, right next to me at the table over, and I had this picture of him that he signed for me for the rink. Oh, that's so cool. This was when he played for the Comets, uh-huh. and um, Lou, I got an old picture. From him, he started playing roller hockey because um, the city didn't have ice during the summertime. Well, I found a picture of him when he was about 16 years old. He loved it, and he was with a group of his family and friends, and he started passing around like, man, this is me when I was, you know, growing up. And he was nice enough to sign it for me. And that's Oh, Lou. there you go. Yeah. Uh, that's Lou right there. Nice. Well, what year is that? Uh, this was in the early sixties, maybe sixty three. Wow. Yeah. 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 Almost looks like you and Dave. Yeah. You know? Hey. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Dave. Yeah. Hey. Well, that's a little not, bit I, I wasn't that old back one. then. Yeah. He did have a mullet back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had the bigger one, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, yeah, he could go. You know. <laughs> no. But yeah, it it was great and um, like I said, I got to sit, sit next to but, uh, Butch. And and what gets me, as you know when you got here, if you know someone in hockey, more than likely if you're talking to someone you never met, you mention a name, they will know that name. Exactly. You know, and same with Butch. I was sitting next to Butch and, um, you know, he was talking and I told him, um, you well, you know Roy Sommer through me. You right. know. He got a great friend, coach. And by the way, he just got um, fired. This was his first time ever in his coaching career. He got fired. The Zato say fired him. This yeah, past. that's that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, that, that really he is. He was there for over 25 seasons, the same organizations. He's still going to stay in the organization. I think he's moving um, the front office, right? Yeah, he's going to be helping out with player development, mm-hmm. which is made up his job. He oh, yeah. he does great with the young kids. And, um, but I told Butch, I said, you know, you were coaching. Did you know Roy? And he looked at me and said, my God, is Roy here? I said, no, no, I just know him. He said, how do you know him? And I told him about, you know, helping him when he coached back in the early, uh, late 80s, you know, junior hockey and, so, you know, I got home and I wrote uh, Roy's uh, wife, Melissa. She said, oh, he, you know, so glad you met Butch. He's, you know, such a good guy. And and the same thing with Lou. Um, when he he helped out f- um, with the 1980 Olympics with Herb Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, he was involved with USA Hockey. And I think you thought I had a blazer with the USA Hockey emblem on it. That belonged to Walter Bush Jr., who was the president of, there it is. I met him. Um, his very good friend was Walter Bush Jr. Um, the reason I wore that jacket was because that jacket belonged to Walter Bush Jr. I have a bunch of his artifacts in the rink here. 
when I told Lou that, he started feeling it. And I could see he he felt so moved that knowing a piece of um, Walter was at the um, ceremony that evening. And I, was, I started taking it off because I was going to have him wear it for the inductions. But he, and I told him, I was like, you want to wear it? And as you can see, he said, Walter was a little bit shorter than I. <laughs> um, I. I would not be able to fit it, but he, you know, he appreciated the, you know, moment. But he, he just couldn't get over it. And the first thing he saw, said to me, he said, I haven't seen a coat like that in ages. And that's what I told him. It belonged to Walter and everything I had. And he started talking um, stories about Walter and him. And then again, he also know, knows Roy. Roy was one of his players while Roy was playing in juniors. So, you know, it was like, you know, you know, everyone yes. I met, they knew someone that I knew or I knew someone that, you know, they do. And, you know, it was just, it felt, I felt so at, at ease that evening. Oh, absolutely. Cause I mean, you know, hockey players, you know, whether you're a superstar all the way down, they're so down to earth. And you yep. know, hockey is actually like one gigantic game of six ways to Kevin Bacon. You ever play that? No. You never heard of that? No. Never Where, heard of it. Really? Oh, no, never it's heard. well you, you like you pick an actor and then you uh -huh. okay, the, they were in this movie with that person who was in this movie with that person and that person was with uh -huh. Kevin Bacon. And you have to figure it out in six six degrees six of moves. separation. That's is that what that called. is? All right. Well, yeah, so, I know it is six ways to Kevin Bacon. Well, it's called six degrees of separation. <clears throat> oh. So that okay. you can basically get to someone within right. six people. Yeah. It's six ways to Kevin to Bacon. To anyone. Yeah. Well, okay. I use Kevin Bacon, so and so do a lot of people. <laughs> well, anything with bacon and it's not bad. Hey, listen, right. exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, but, but that, that even proved that hockey players, um, the community of hockey players is just one big family. Oh yeah, that's where I felt like up there. It's like family, and the the best speech. I, I'm going to have to go back and watch all the speeches, but. Um, the best phrase was by a player. He's retired now. Um, he said his job when he was young was to score goals, but his job now is to assist, which means he assists with youth ho hockey and, you know, whatever. And that is so true because all these players I met that night, you know, sure they played, you know, in the, you know, big leagues, but now they're out helping other people and I've never met a community such close debt and oh, yeah. you know honestly want to help help people and I was proud to be there and get to know these players. Oh absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you that must have been awesome listening to some of Butch Goring's stories. Oh it was but it was funny uh Renee at the beginning because they had like <clears throat> 30 speakers. And you know how long bakers could be. <laughs> he says, I'm going to tell you, I have a stopwatch, and once it hits 10 minutes, whether you're finished or not, I'm walking up just grabbing the microphone, because I guess I'm bankers in the past. He had to go up officially take the microphone away from whoever was talking because they were talking yeah, too long. I, 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 I relate to that. Who? <laughs> <Ooh>, you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave likes to think of this show as the gong show sometimes. <laughs> really? Rabbit up, buddy. That night, um, no one went over the time limit, and they uh, um, ended 10 minutes early. Oh, impressive. Yep. So, us hockey players, we don't talk that much. So, yeah. you know. Really? <laughs> Not at all. 
Not at all. We got to get Barry a light, though. I mean, you know, he looks like I'm intentionally hiding his face from the audience. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that's Barry. That is awesome. That that really is. And I'm looking. They have a website actually. It's uh, nyshhof.com. Yes, and it's it's really cool. They just had the Hall of Fame pictures up. They're going to be putting up all the um, induction. uh, acceptance speeches here, and of course, as you see on my page, I've been posting as many as I whenever I see them um, come up. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. And I, I'm looking forward to going next year. And I, I was thinking of you as I was going down I ninety. Like, oh man, I wish Scott could come. Oh, I would have <laughs> so loved to. Year, have, that would have been next great. Year, I'll be sure to you know let you know. And well, next yeah, and, next year definitely. Yeah. If we can, if yeah. we can go, Barry, we're going. Okay. Okay. I tell you, I'm looking at this list of, of players and coaches, and and, and oh, you saw everyone. Yeah, it's just yeah. incredible, and uh, the list is very long. So I'm not going to sit here and start listing it off now. But if you want to see the list, and I'm telling you, you do, you just go to nyshhof.com, and I'm going to actually put that on our, on our website too because that oh. that is just yeah, so awesome. awesome. That really and is. Renee, he has done a fabulous job. You know, getting all these players to come on this particular night and and for all the players you know to come you know that that tells you the man renee is and um oh absolutely i'm looking forward to a long relationship with him and the hall of fame absolutely well you know what we'll have to get him on the show and you have to come back on and we'll 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 talk some more about that super you know i know he'd love to come on oh absolutely that would be that would be so much fun That, that really would so so we go from the Hall of Fame to, uh, well, we were just talking about the comments in the first part segment. They're out now. You got a team you're pulling for? I tell you the truth, I haven't watched the game. <laughs> I've been uh, following the AHL. Uh, and I'm sorry for all your last podcast. I was bugging Dave. I was putting comments in every, he's like, 30 seconds. The comments are up. No? They died. No, listen. It's all <laughs> good. Yeah. You know what? If I'd have thought about it, I would have had you come in as like the intrepid reporter. <laughs> I'm, pulling, I'm pulling for the Rangers. I think they play tonight, too. Yeah, right now, actually. Oh, what's the score? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look. That's okay. <laughs> it won't matter by the time anybody hears this. It's 2 nothing Rangers at the end of the first. Oh, Ooh, good. Okay. So. And did you see Lavelle? They're doing great over Rochester. They are. You are. They're, they're just wiping them up. Well, they they win tomorrow night, and that's it. Yeah, we're gonna they, make yeah. we're gonna make yeah. them eat riggies when they lose. <laughs> oh yeah, I couldn't make it to that game. Did, was there a lot of riggy signs? There was, there was, and I gotta tell you, we went out for dinner for our anniversary yesterday, and I had chicken riggies in honor <laughs> of the comments. In honor of the comments, yes, yes. of course. But no, actually, I mean, as far as the AHL, I guess I'll pull for Laval now. They're coming out of the North Division, you know, and. Just just can't root for Rochester after that yeah. last series. Can't do it. Sorry. Well, There's no way. I, I have to be, you know, 50-50. As you know, I have a lot of members on the ring that right. play for Rochester. Paul Crowley, he played. Yeah. Rich Slick, who used to play for the Mohawk Valley Stars. Sure. Um, he, he played for Rochester and had uh, some tea up with the Buffalo Sabres. So, you know, I can't make. That mad about no, <laughs> you know I'll tell you truthfully. Before the comments came along, if I had an AHL team, one of them was the Amherst. You know, I 
They're well, one of those traditional teams. Don Cherry played for them, you know. The oh, yeah. list as long yep. as far as you know everybody who played for them, but yeah, like I said, it was a better series. Ugh, well, I don't know what I'm yeah, about when it. I grew up, it was the Binghamton Whalers, and That's I right. hated Rochester. Right. And Binghamton and Rochester—that was the biggest. Because I don't believe it, uh, Utica had had a team back then. Not yet. Probably didn't have a team back then, so it was Binghamton and Rochester. God, those series used to be. <laughs> Oh, yes. Long. Brutal. Long games. Three-hour <laughs> games. <laughs> exactly. In Boston. Oh. I've heard uh, my boy Jeff Halpern in the mix. And Stephen Leach. he'd be a great choice. Uh, Cooper's right-hand man. Yep. Cooper, who whined after every call, but to his credit, oh, boy, did he ever. also said to the press that it is what it is when the referees make the call. But I think that Halpern and Boston, nice match. You got to talk to Connor about that. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. That it, it looks like uh, Patrice Bergeron is going to come back on a one-year deal, so that helps everything out too. They say Pasta wants out. Well, Pasternak wants out. That remains to be seen. You know, that's I, it's 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 kind of an ugly situation in Boston right now too, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm shocked that Don Sweeney got extended as general manager given the. Uh, Yes. Apparent uh, miscommunication between him and Cam Neely as far as uh, what they want. You're good. You're going to be fine. So, um, they're fired. fired. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> so ridiculous. You're exactly right. Yeah. I, I, I only wanted to keep that. I had that as like a footnote in my notes. I just wanted to say like, that situation is a show. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's only going to get better. Worth watching. Worth watching, worth paying attention. Games this year. Plus, they just got Pod Colson back. And Pod Colson uh, is someone who I expect to ball out, but like he might not because he's still very young. He's getting sent to the AHL for the first time to play with new teammates, new coaches. And and all that. So we promise you we will be back without a shadow of a doubt. Right. So you know where to find me. Absolutely. Right Absolutely. Now, like I said, poor Chad, he's going to have to figure out something yeah. to do for the offseason. Yeah. But that's okay. Who, I don't know who he's going to bet on now. <laughs> He'll find something. Don't you worry. <laughs> he's got to uh, listen to the end to hear it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, for Drew Bray, for Dave the Save Warner, I'm Scott Kinville. We want to thank you for listening. Just remind you that you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And to please subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. So anyways, like I said, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Marty's Illegal Stick Hockey Podcast. Year in that, uh, starting for Bakersfield. And then last year, he still looked like someone who had a good team in front of him but had a lot of warts uh, on him as a goaltender. And then this year, he's looked a lot better. Um, but we're still holding on to the Moonshine nickname because it's fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, but but um, between him and Spencer Martin, they're both goaltenders where, I, again, I kind of trust them in the Ron Burgundy sense where it's like, I think they could be great. Like they've shown moments where they could steal games, but I don't know. Like they're going to be the reason that team succeeds or fails one way. Or the- hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.